One of the favorite keepsakes from my grandmother are handwritten letters that she wrote to me through many years. Uh, She would sit down and get out some fancy writing paper, and she'd get out a pen, and she would write me letters. She would take them, put them in an envelope, drive to the post office, and send them to me. Now, in an age of texting and Snapchat, that just seems like the most archaic way of communicating ever. I mean, think about it even now. How many of you have received a handwritten letter come to you in the mail recently? I don't see any hands up here at all today. I'm expecting there's probably no hands up at home either. They're so rare. And they're so rare because they're so time-consuming given all the different ways that we have to communicate today. You know, in the ancient world, writing a personal letter was even more crazy and ridiculous and expensive. You had to buy the parchment, write the letter properly the first time, and then you had to pay somebody to deliver it to the people that you were sending it to. So why did the Apostle Paul, after 10 years uh, of visiting the church in Philippi, buy parchment, sit down, write them a lengthy letter, and then pay somebody to deliver it to the people there in Philippi? And the answer is easy, because they were going through a difficult time. They were struggling. There was three ways in particular that they were really struggling. First was, many of them were starting to lose their faith. Uh, Following Jesus was becoming difficult. Life can be complicated. The wear and tear of everyday life can just kind of drain your faith. Sometimes you feel disappointed with God, and all of this was adding up, and people were really struggling spiritually. They were also struggling financially. You know, following Jesus in the ancient world often meant that people saw you as unpatriotic. They'd stop doing business with you. They wouldn't hire you. And so many Christians in the ancient world lost their means of income and and went through really serious financial challenges. And thirdly, there was conflict in the church. Can you imagine? Uh, Small things held on over time became big things. People started to take sides and arguments and the spirit of the church really changed because of the conflict that was going on. And with all of these things, things happening at the same time, people were really starting to lose their joy. And so Paul writes them a letter. He exercises the expense and he sends them the letter that we read today as a letter of Philippians. Now, Paul wants them to get their joy back because Paul knows that no matter the circumstance you're in, no matter the challenge that you're facing, it's still possible for you to experience joy. In fact, it's one of the things that God says he wants for us most that we should experience. In fact, he commands us to make sure that we do not lose our joy. I gave you a definition of joy last week, and it read this. The good feeling in our soul that comes from the Holy Spirit confirming God's presence and grace at work in us. The good feeling, and you've experienced it before. And we, it, we find that good feeling in our souls, and it comes from knowing that the Holy Spirit is living in us, We have his presence no matter where we go, no matter where we find ourselves. God is still with us. And the potential and the possibility for God's grace to be ours and for us to experience is real anytime, no matter what and no matter when. And when we realize that, we can have joy. And let's be honest, it would not be a stretch to think that after six weeks of isolation that you and I can't relate to the people in Philippi that maybe your faith feels a bit stretched 
Maybe your financial reality has changed significantly, and maybe you've even had some conflict in your life or in your home or with some of your coworkers at this time, too. And so we're going to be jumping into this letter because I believe that God wants and God can make joy possible for you even right now. So can I encourage you to get your Bibles out? Uh, in this series, as we go through the book of Philippians, I'd love for you to show up to church uh, with your Bible ready or your app open. If you are one of those highlighter, underliner, circular, need a journal, get all of your stuff. Even press pause on the tape right now and run out and get it and have it all ready for you. Because I'm going to give you homework. Um, you can read along through the book of Philippians. You can find uh, the reading schedule on our church website. And I'm going to give you homework. And the homework I've kind of uh, defined in three ways. Chew, pray, and share. Let me explain those to you. Chew. Uh, there's a great verse in Psalm 1 verse 2 that says we should delight in the word of God. And the word delight literally means to chew. It paints a picture of a lion chewing on a bone. And the idea is this, that when you spend time reading the passage and reading it again and wrestling with it, chewing on it, so to speak, you get more out of it. And that's what I want for you. The readings for each week are really short. You can read the same section each day once and keep going over it and over it. And as you do, God's going to speak to you. You're going to see new things and it'll become so much more rich and rewarding for you. Secondly, I want you to pray through these passages. You're going to find sentences, and we're going to look at one today. In fact, we're going to end our, the message time with it, where we can actually pray the verses for yourself and for the people that you love and care about. And lastly, I want you to share it. As you come across a verse that really speaks to you, share it with somebody. Send it to them in an email. Create a, a, some artwork for it for your social media account. Send it to somebody in your life group. Think about somebody who could really be blessed by receiving uh, an encouraging word. So we're going to be encouraging you to do these three things. So let's jump in. Open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. We're going to read together verses 1 and 2, and it goes like this. Paul and Timothy, servants of Jesus Christ, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and the deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So we know that Paul took three mission trips, three mission tours, if you will. And on his second trip, he went to an area in northern Greece where he came across the city of Philippi. And last week, we looked at Acts chapter 16, which kind of gave us a snapshot about what happened when he visited uh, the city of Philippi the first time. And we went through the three main encounters he had. One with a lady by the name of Lydia, who was a businesswoman. The second with a young girl who had been used uh, to tell people's fortunes and make money for her slave owners. And the third was the Philippian jailer and his family. Now we don't know who else is now in the church. Uh, maybe some of the people that were also in jail with Paul and Silas became Christians. Maybe some of the people who watched, watched them being beaten in the city square later came to faith. We don't know who. But this church has now grown and there's a whole community of Jesus followers there. And Paul is writing them this letter. Let's look at verses 3 and 4. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for you, for all of you, I always pray with joy. There's that word. If you are someone that's comfortable circling words in your Bible, I would circle that word. In fact, circle it every time it comes up as you're reading through it. And you'll get a picture of kind of how God envisions you and I experiencing his joy. What strikes me when I read these verses is that the, is that the very first thing that comes to Paul's mind when he thinks of the people in Philippi is their faithfulness. 
It's like the word association game. I say somebody's name and you tell me the first word that comes to mind when you hear that word. So maybe we'll play it for a second. So whether you're by yourself or whether you're in a room full of people, let's have a quick game of word association. I'm going to say somebody's name or, and you're going to kind of say out loud immediately the first word that comes to mind. Are you ready to play? This is now we're into our participation stuff. Okay, your grade eight math teacher. Pastor John. Now be nice. But this is what Paul was saying here. The very first word that comes to his mind when he hears the people of Philippi is their faithfulness. Their faithfulness. And as he does, joy bubbles to his heart. He's so grateful for these people. And maybe you had that experience on Easter Sunday. Uh, Easter Sunday, both pre and post service, we showed a short video of members of our church family smiling and waving. And I don't know about you, but as I watched that, uh, probably three or four times, each time it made me smile with joy, as I remembered so many of you that we haven't seen in so long. And in fact, if you stay on after the service today, after Pastor John closes us in prayer, there's going to be some more members of our church family there ready to greet you, so we hope that you'll, you'll stay for that. Let's look at verses four and, or 5 and 6. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Paul uses the word partnership here, and I love this word. Paul's initial visit to Philippi, shall we say, had some complications. Uh, he and Silas were publicly beaten, they were mocked, they were imprisoned, and somebody almost died. So kind of like a regular night at middle school youth group. But for Paul and Silas, this was serious stuff. His ministry his, to these people, though, was a partnership. This wasn't about Paul doing everything, trying to guilt trip everybody else into helping him out. Not at all. In fact, Paul uses the phrase here that from day one, they've been partners with him. We see this captured in Paul's uh, ministry to the lady Lydia that we talked about last week. Lydia was a businesswoman. She was Jewish. She was kind of going down to the regular meeting place to pray. Paul shows up. He starts teaching. And the scripture said the Lord opened her heart. She believed in Jesus Christ. She became a Christian. She and her whole family were baptized. And then you remember what happened next? Immediately she goes to Paul and Silas and she says, come to my house for lunch and stay with us. And you'll remember that uh, Luke goes to great detail to say that she had to persuade them. And she uses this interesting line. She says, if you consider me part of the Christian family, come to my home. She wanted to be involved. She wanted to enter into what Paul was doing. She had experienced God's grace in her life in such a significant way, and she now wanted to respond and be a partner with Paul in what he was doing. And spoiler alert, if you read ahead to Philippians and go into chapter 4, verse 16 and 18, Paul recounts two other times that this community of believers continued to partner with him. Immediately after Paul leaves Philippi and probably hobbling because of the horrible beating he'd taken, and he goes on to the community of Troas, 90 miles away, shortly after he's there, a member of the Philippian church shows up with a gift. They were partnered with him. And then 10 years after Paul's first visit, Paul is now in a Roman prison. He's there, he's chained, and suddenly a member of the church in Philippi shows up. And they have a financial gift for Paul. 
because they were partners. They were, had experienced God's grace in such a found, phenomenal way and they wanted to be a part of making sure that other people had the same opportunity. From day one, they'd partnered with Paul in the ministry. But now, Paul looks at his partners and they're struggling. Their faith is waning. They're going through financial difficulties. There's conflict going on. And he writes them this letter. And he starts by reminding them of their faithfulness. But I love what he mentions next. Let me read it for you again in verse 6. Being confident of this, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. I love Paul's confidence. God's going to finish what he started in you. And he's confident. And Paul's confidence doesn't come from his abilities. It doesn't come from anything other than the fact that when God starts things, he finishes them. God is the author and the perfecter of our faith. God's Holy Spirit is living in us and he's able to be working and acting in us no matter what, no matter the season. And Paul looks at these discouraged Christians, so faithful in the beginning, and he reminds them with confidence that God is going to finish what he started in their life, even if it's difficult right now. But it's easy to be discouraged. Do you ever discourage you? Do you ever disappoint yourself? Do you ever say things or do things and afterwards you think, I can't believe I said that? A number of months ago, I was in the mall and uh, I ran into somebody and they came up to me and they said, look, Pastor Rob, I just want to share this prayer concern with you. And they told me a, a story about a difficult situation they were going through and they asked me to pray for them and we left. Uh, a couple of weeks later, I ran into them again, and they came up to me, and they thanked me. They said, Pastor Rob, thank you so much for praying for my situation. Uh, things have really worked out, and they painted this great picture for me that things were so much better, and then they left. And as they were walking away, all I could think was, I completely forgot to pray for them. I didn't pray for them once. And I felt so bad, and I felt so guilty. I thought maybe I should turn in my pastor credentials in that moment because of that situation. And maybe in these times of isolation, you've had some not-so-great moments too. Some things in your life have come to the surface and it's just been tough. And then you hear these words that God who started a work in your life, he's gonna finish it. And he's going to be the one that brings it to completion. That we should not think that just because things are difficult that God's not at work. That we should not look at this season and say, oh, this is a waste. Not at all. God is still at work in this season. I love this quote. It's not my grip on God that has made the difference in my life. It's his grip on me. And God has his grip on you today. And even though you might not see it, even though you might not feel it, he is at work and he is going to bring that work to completion. Let's look at verses seven and eight. Paul says, it's right for me to feel this way about all of you. Since I have you in my heart, whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. In these verses, Paul is having a moment with the Philippians. He's just kind of pouring out his love for them. He's saying, look, Jesus loves you, and Jesus has filled my heart to overflowing with love for you. 
So can you imagine if you're maybe the Philippian jailer who, you know, was initially called to guard Paul and Silas, and then there's the earthquake. They get free. He's about to kill himself. They say, no, don't. Um, they have this moment. He cries out for help. They, they open, they speak to him, open the scriptures. He, he be, makes a profession of faith in that moment. And then he takes them home. He cleans their wounds. <laughs> he feeds them a meal. And you can almost guarantee that he was fired for that. You are not called by the Roman government to look after prisoners and then promoted when you take them home and feed them and treat them there like you're, they're your family. So can you imagine this jailer now sitting home, unemployed, doing the math calculations, trying to figure out if he's going to have enough money to pay the rent at the end of the month again. And the fact that he is a Jesus follower and seen as unpatriotic, no one wants to hire him, so he's stuck each day just working as a laborer wherever he can find work. And it's difficult. And not only that, this church that he was a part of that was so exciting at the beginning, people coming to faith and miracles happen, and now they're just in a tough season and everybody's discouraged and there's fighting and everybody's kind of lost their joy. And he goes to church one Sunday and Someone shares excitedly that Paul has brought them a letter. And he sits down, and as they're reading it, he hears those words, I love you. I love you. And I love you just in the same way that Jesus himself loves you. Does it fix his problems? No. But it matters, doesn't it? And Paul wanted to remind these people who were maybe thinking about giving up, who are maybe wondering, nobody cares anymore, that Jesus loves them right in the midst of the difficult time that they were going through. And that if Jesus himself were there in the flesh, he would be saying to them, I love you. And maybe you need to be reminded of that today too. Maybe the question of when is all this gonna end just feels to be squishing you. Maybe you're resorting to coping ways that aren't healthy and they aren't godly. And you're beginning to wonder too. Hear Jesus' words to you today that he loves you. He loves you. Now, this might seem a bit sappy, but it shouldn't surprise us. Paul has always been kind of gushing in thankfulness for the people that he wrote letters to. And in this one was no, no exception. It's kind of one of the trademarks of his ministry. He's always genuinely thankful for people. Not because they were perfect, Not because they were spiritual superstars, but because to him, they were family. And he was always thankful for his family. And I think there's a lesson for us here too, especially in a time of quarantine. You know, if you're at home uh, with a group of people right now, you have probably noticed more of their imperfections than you have ever noticed before. Is that fair? Right? You're sitting at the table with the same group of people night after night, and you've noticed that their table manners are awful. You've never noticed it before, and they're driving you crazy every meal. You're Zooming or FaceTiming with family or friends, and you're watching them fumble with technology. You're watching how many times they touch their face in each phone call, and you can't even believe it. It's driving you nuts. Or your husband, he's been wearing the same pair of pajama pants for seven straight days. I mean, when he takes them off now at night, he just leans them up against the wall. Everybody's imperfections, we're becoming more and more aware of them. Well, Paul says here, 
There's a ministry of thankfulness that, we should, that is so powerful to people in difficult times. And I think it's a great time for us to be thinking about people that we are thankful for and to let them know. It's got a powerful, joy-releasing gift into their lives as you reach out to them and say, look, I need you to know I'm just so grateful for you. I'm grateful for your friendship. I'm grateful for the fact that God has got you in my life. So let's release a ministry of joy by releasing words of thankfulness to people. All right, the last verses, verses 9 to 11. Paul says this, this is my prayer for you. He's gonna tell them what he's praying for when he prays for them in prison, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. There's two things that stand out to me here. As you think about praying for yourself and praying for others, the first is this, that you would grow in love. This is not a time for our hearts to shrink. It's a time for our hearts to grow. This is not a time for us to be stingy with love, but to be generous. This is not a time for us to hold back words of encouragement, but to be generous with them. This is a time when we can ask God to grow our hearts, make them bigger, and to make them fuller. That's a wonderful prayer for you and for other people. Next, he prays for depth and insight. Now, I laughed when I read this because all I could think about is all the things I'm learning about myself in this time of isolation. Most of them not great. But have you noticed anything new about yourself in this time of isolation? Have you noticed maybe habits that you have? Have you maybe noticed that some things are more important to you than others? Some of your priorities were maybe out of whack. Have you noticed, had some insights about these things? Maybe you've noticed things like prayer and scripture reading have taken on an all-new importance to you as you've been home. Maybe you've noticed you've got more blessings in your life than you thought, and you're becoming more grateful. Paul is saying, as you pray for each other, let's pray that we would grow in our knowledge of ourselves and become more gracious, and just that God's love would be washing over our lives as we do it. So I'm gonna close in prayer today kind of putting into practice a little bit of homework I gave to you today by kind of praying us through these verses. And here's my hope for you. As we're in this time of isolation and quarantine and uncertainty and trying to figure things out, it does not mean that God cannot give you his joy, but that you in this time would know his joy personally and profoundly in a real and tangible way. So let me pray for us today. Father, this morning, we we thank you for these words. There's so much going on here. We sense such a passion uh, that Paul has for his people and just for their faithfulness to him and just the real beautiful friendship that had developed here over a number of years. And God, it reminds us today that we're part of a church family too. And Lord, today we remember our church family and we bring them before you. And even as we will see names and faces here in a few minutes, Lord, we know it's going to bring joy to our heart as we see them again. And we thank you that we're a part of a partnership, of a a community of faith, God, that is seeking to bring your blessing to our city. And we pray that you would just allow that to continue to happen. God, I thank you today that no matter where we are at, 
no matter the circumstance, no matter how tough or difficult it feels for us today, that you have promised to finish what you started. And that may feel impossible to us, but we know it's not impossible to you. And Jesus, we thank you that as you look at us, that your response is love, that you do truly love us. Even at times when we get frustrated with ourselves or discouraged, God, you want us to know that you truly do love us and that it's your desire that we would be filled with your joy. Lord, we pray that this would be a season marked in growing our hearts with love, that we would have more and more love for the people that you put in our, in our world, and this would be a time when we're learning and growing as your followers, that we would be having insights into our life, and in the midst of that, God, that you would be teaching and growing us and shaping us more into the image of your Son, and we pray this in Christ's name, amen.